And now we take you to Evangel Assembly of God in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Today we're going to begin a new series of messages entitled The Power of Personal Choices. And here's the truth. Your greatest friend... And sometimes your greatest enemy can be the choices that you make, the decisions that you make, because your choices are going to determine the quality of your life, they're going to determine the course of your life, and of course your eternal destiny. And we all need to pray and say, God, would you help me to make good and godly choices? Would you help me to make good and godly decisions with my life. And you know what I find is that it's most important that we learn to make the big choices, get the big choices right. And so I'm going to ask uh, Paul to come up here and help me with a uh, with an illustration. You may have seen something like this done before. Okay, here we've got a an empty jar, okay? It's an empty jar, but we know in life we have to make big decisions. And so, Terry, I want you to take this. Is the baby okay? I said, KK can watch the baby. Here we go. I want you just to go around the room and ask. Here's what I want you to answer. What are some of the big decisions that we've got to make in life? Think about this. What are the big, big decisions that you and I have to make in life? What would it be? Raise your hand. She's going to come to you. Taking a, taking a gap year after college or going straight into law school. Okay, so what am I going to do vocationally? That's a big decision. These big river rocks represent big decisions, right? Okay, what's another big decision that we have to make? To accept Christ. Okay, How, don't you think your eternal destiny is a pretty big decision? Yeah, are you going to live for Christ or not live for him? advance the kingdom to advance the kingdom to advance to advance the kingdom that's right that's a great decision yeah who i'm going to marry who you're going to marry how many of you say that's that's pretty important okay okay what's another big decision buying a new house Buying a new house. Buying a new house. Where are you going to live? You know, do we rent? Are we going to buy? What are we going to do? Okay. Insurance. Okay. Am I going to buy insurance? Am I planning for the future? Where to live geographically. Where geographically am I going to try to locate? Having children. Am I going to have children? Who are you going to associate with? Who are you going to associate with, okay? Who are your friends going to be? Anyone back here? No. Come on, there's some more big decisions. All right, I'm coming over here. Oh. Come on, Pastor Jack. That was a good one. I enjoyed that one. All right, back here. Asher's got one. Uh, retirement. What do we do about retirement, Pastor? A new vehicle. Okay, we're going to buy a new car, a new vehicle. Somebody said planning for retirement. Yeah. How about how about how, how am I going to manage my money? 
Isn't that an important decision? I like Parks Gray used to say, don't tell me how much money you make, but tell me how much is left over after you pay your bills. That's what's important. How much are you saving? Choosing your friends. Choosing your friends, that's important. What are some more decisions that you'd have to make? Saying no to drugs. Saying no to drugs. That's a pretty good decision. To select the right job. To select the right job, have the right vocation. Okay, let's see. I, I think I've about gotten, I may have one more. One more river rock or somewhere. One more. Okay, one more decision. College. College, okay. Where am I going to go to school? Okay. Life is full of decisions. How many of you would say that this, this is full now? You'd say, yeah, that looks pretty full. Okay, how many say it's not full? Okay, let's see if we've got those pebbles. Okay. All right, let's just... I may have to take some of these out here to do this. Oh. You know what? Life is full of big decisions, but it's also full of what? Daily, small decisions that you fill your life up with. I really made a mess here. How many think it's about full now? Okay, you think it's full. Let's see the sand. Oh, okay. Let's see if it could get this sand in here. In fact, every day you and I make lots and lots and lots of decisions. How many would say that's uh, that's starting to fill up now? You say yes, it is. Okay. Well, I don't think it's quite full. I think Miss Kathy's got, uh, or here it is. Dr. Hill, you're more educated than I am. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to fill it up. You're doing good. You just keep going. Keep going. Now, don't mind, just be mindful, we've got to get this off here too. Without spilling it. That's probably good enough. How many say it's just about full now? Now, what do we learn from this other than it's amusing? I'll tell you what we learn. Here's another life's big decision. Nobody said, I want to make my family a priority. You know, as I've sat beside people who are taking their last breath, I've never had a man or a woman say, I wish I'd spent another hour at the office. But I have had people say, I wish I'd spent more time with my children.
I wish I had spent more time with my family. I wish I had forgiven this person years ago. I wish I had walked in love. I wish I had not been so selfish. I wish I had not been so self-centered. I wish I had thought about other people. Oh, I wish I had this life to do over again. But when you've got these big life decisions and what happens, the older you get, the busier life gets and there are so many decisions and life's coming at you. 24 miles, I mean, I mean, 100 miles an hour, 24 hours a day is non-stop and sometimes it gets really hard to say I've got another big life decision how am I going to fit it in here folks the one decision you don't want to come to the end of your life having not made is to live for the Lord Jesus Christ to accept his shed blood as the full payment for all of your sins amen did you get it don't wait don't put off the big decisions the big choices of life. Paul and Terry, can you please come help me with this? All right. Great. Good job. Give those guys a big big hand of applause. In this study on choices, we're going to look at the life of Samuel. See, Samuel... Next to Moses, Samuel was the most anointed man of God in the Old Testament. It was Samuel who was doing the will of God with all his heart. And God says, Samuel, I'm going to give the people what they're asking for. I'm going to give them a king. And it was Samuel who's the one who went to David's house and he met his daddy and his brothers. And God said, they're not the ones. It's that little runt. It's that little short one. It's that little red-headed guy with freckles. He's the one I've called because Samuel, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And it took a man of God to transition Israel from being a theocracy to being a monarchy. Samuel listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Bible said about Samuel, even as a boy. It said, God allowed none of his words to fall to the ground. And everyone from Dan to Beersheba knew that he was a prophet of God. And we're going to start off by looking at the lives of some of the people that were around Samuel, specifically his daddy. We're looking this morning at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, there was a certain man of Ramathame Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephraimite. What does that mean? It means he's a descendant of Joseph's family. And God says, look at this in verse 1, now there was a, what kind of man? A certain man. Everybody say, a certain man. Folks, God points out, he highlights here, there was a certain man named Elkanah. When God highlights something in the scripture, it's because you and I are to learn something. Sometimes we learn good things from them, and sometimes we learn not to do the bad things they did. But in this case, we're learning good things. There was a certain man, and his name is Elkanah. 
Cana. And the first thing that I learned from his life, and we're going to put this on the screen, is this. Number one, Elkanah chose to take a bold stand for God when others would not do it. One of the best choices, one of the best decisions you will ever make in your life is to take a bold stand for Jesus Christ, to take a bold stand for the Holy Ghost, to take a bold stand for the Word of God. See, Elkanah lived at a time that it wasn't popular to do that. The Bible says he lived during a time of lawlessness. In fact, it says in Judges 21, 25, I want you to read this aloud and loudly with me. Here we we go, everyone together. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. How many of you know some people that just do what's right in their own eyes? Come on. They're just a law unto themselves. Jesus said in the last day that, that, that iniquity would abound and the love of many would wax cold. Iniquity means to do your own thing. Iniquity is me saying, you know what? I know God's word says this is the way I should live and this is what I should do, but I think I want to do something different. That is what the Bible calls iniquity. That was going on in Elkanah's day. It's going on in our day. In fact, idolatry was rampant. Idolatry is rampant here today, too. Do you know that? Oh, we don't bow down to wooden images made by our hands. But what do people in America worship? What do we bow down to? We bow down to the idol of money. We We bow down to the idol of power and success. Everybody look at me. There's nothing wrong with money, with power, or success as long as they are your servants and not your master's. What else does America bow down to? We bow down to entertainment, to sports, to having a good time. We live to be entertained, it seems. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with sports. There's nothing wrong with having a good time. But I'm telling you that God knows how to give you a good time and you don't have a hangover. God knows how to give you a good time and you don't regret it the next day. In fact, did you know that our God likes parties? You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Well, just go back and read Luke 15. Read the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son got his daddy's inheritance, and he took it, and he started partying with it. He comes back to his daddy. His daddy sees him coming down the road. He says, hey, the boy's coming back. Get a robe for his, his back. Get a ring for his finger. Get some shoes for his feet. And you know what he said? He said, kill the fatted calf. My son that was lost has come on. We're going to have a party. In that story, God is the Father, and God is having a party. The Bible says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner than repents than over 99 righteous. I'm telling you, our God knows how to have a party. He likes having a good time. Glory to God. Our society bows down today to human sexuality. Everyone, just be reminded of this. The God who made you gave you your sexual and biological drives. The God who made you knows what's best for you. And he knows that the only context in which sexual relationships are ultimately thrilling and fulfilling and all that he meant for it to be is the context of a committed marriage where a husband is going to love his wife like Christ loves the church and where a wife is going to love her husband. Somebody say amen. There was lawlessness. There was idolatry going on in Elkanah's day. And the spiritual leaders of Elkanah's day were corrupt leaders. They were compromised leaders. 
the head priest and judge of the land. His name was Eli, and Eli was a compromised, weak leader. In fact, the Bible says that he didn't really have much of a prayer life. It says that God wasn't even speaking back in those days. It says that the vision of God was dim in the land. Not only that, but Eli had two sons who were Hophni and Phinehas. These guys are priests. These guys are pastors, Pastor Hophni and Phinehas. And you know what these guys are up to? Hophni and Phinehas are stealing from the offerings that people are bringing to God. Not only that, but they are forcing the women that are serving at the tent of meeting. They're forcing the women to commit sexual immorality with them. These are the pastors. I'm telling you, it was a corrupt, corrupt time. It wasn't popular to take a stand for God. Look at me. Everybody hear me. It's not popular in 2016 to take a stand for Jesus Christ and for biblical morality and for the scripture. My wife, seven weeks ago, was called to jury duty. She did her civic obligation. She went down to the courthouse. She received a number along with several hundred other people. She was told there were multiple trials going on. She was assigned to a certain courtroom, and and she was with a prospective juror pool. She walked in there. I don't know, there were 25, 26, 27 prospective jurors on the stand, and the attorneys begin to ask them questions, and they want to know about their lives. Where do you work? Where does your spouse work? What do you do? When they got to Kathy, she says, my husband is the pastor of the Evangel Assembly of God. And so the attorney just stopped right there. This was the defense attorney. And he says, oh, so do you believe in the Bible? And Kathy says, I do believe in the Bible. And then he quoted a couple Bible verses and made her think that, that he too was a believer. And so then he began to ask her about certain scriptural texts and what she thought about them. And she says, I believe that that is true. I believe that the word of God is true. And he proceeded in this public courtroom to tear her down and to try to say that she didn't know what she was talking about and that she was narrow-minded and that the Bible is not true. And Kathy said, you could have heard a pin drop in that courtroom, but she stood her ground. Now, the truth is this. She began crying. She was so upset and so frustrated at the stress of all this happening and being 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 pulled out and 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 made to answer in front of everybody when all she was doing was doing her civic obligation. She was being a good citizen, but this guy starts picking on her. She said after it was all over with and they had a break. She had several more of the jurors come and say, you know, I really believe like you do, but I was afraid. I was afraid to say anything. Folks, I thank God that Elkanah was willing to take a bold stand for God no matter what anyone else said or anybody else did. You know, Jesus one time was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the world? And he responded, Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. He says, the most important one answered Jesus is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your 
your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And when you love the Lord with everything inside you, you don't mind taking a stand even when it's not popular. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 22 and 23, or excuse me, 32 and 33, he says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. I realize today it's not politically correct to take a stand and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Word of God, I believe in the Holy Ghost, but let me Look at me. The most important decision that you can make in life is to confess before men, Jesus Christ is my Lord. He is my King. He is my Savior. He is my Redeemer. He is my soon coming King. I'm serving Him because He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man makes it to the Father except but by Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus himself said that if we deny him before men, he says, I'm going to deny you before my father. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, he said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Folks, Elkanah is included in the Bible only because he took a bold stand for God. Look at me. Every eye on me. Every ear open. Some of you, some of you have problems in life because you've never got this one decision squared away concretely in your heart. You haven't decided fully that you are a follower of Jesus Christ that's not ashamed of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're afraid deep down inside that you might be ridiculed, that some people might make, make fun of you, that some people may not understand, and so you're holding back. But I'm telling you, when you get this squared away in your heart, it makes a lot of other decisions much, much easier. See, when I wake up in the morning, I don't have to ask myself, well, gee, am I going to go rob a bank today? Why? Because I serve Jesus Christ and the Bible says thou shalt not steal. I don't have to get up in the morning and wonder, well, I wonder, am I going to tell a big old whopper of a lie? Why? The Bible says thou shalt not lie. Hmm. Look at verse 3. Read this aloud. This is 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. There it is. Read this aloud with me. Come on. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Year after year, the man went up to Shiloh. Here's the second point about this man named Elkanah. He stood consistently for God. He was consistent in his worship of God. Elkanah's commitment to worship was not occasional. I believe it describes something he did. It says, year after year. Now, that doesn't mean he just went to church one time a year. 
It means he went to Shiloh where the tabernacle of God was year after year. I believe he went to church either daily or weekly. I believe he went to the synagogue that was there in the mountains of Ephraim where they lived. But every year they were faithful to go to a place of worship. And I'm telling you, there's a great power in consistency. Many great things happen to people that are consistent in their lives. And there are many wonderful opportunities that are missed out by people who don't learn to be consistent. See, consistent has a meaning. We're going put it up on the screen. Consistent means firm, steady, regular, ongoing, unaltered, continually practiced. When Elkanah and his family showed up for church at Shiloh, particularly this particular year, it wasn't unusual. It wasn't, oh wow, look who's come to church today. It was something they did every single year. They could count on Elkanah and his family showing up for church. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. You don't want to be inconsistent because when you're consistent, you're setting yourself up to receive from God. When you're consistent, you just might have your miracle coming to you. That's exactly what happened to Elkanah. And to his family. Why in the world should we be consistent? I'll tell you why. Because when the Holy Spirit starts working in your life, many times it's incrementally. It's little by little. See, we want God to do a real big work in a very, very short period of time. But God doesn't usually microwave any of us. God says it's going to be, here's what Isaiah put it. He says it's going to be line upon line. It's going to be precept upon precept. It's going to be here a little and there a little. And when you're consistent in your relationship with God, you will set yourself up for your miracle season. You will set yourself up for your breakthrough. Jesus was consistent in his worship. Luke chapter 4 verse 16 says, When he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. They didn't say, oh, wow, look who's come to church today. It was what Jesus usually did. He went as usual to the synagogue. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Acts chapter 3 verse 1 says, One day Peter and John went to the temple at 3 o'clock. The time set each day for the afternoon prayer Service And you'll remember Peter and John are walking into the temple and there's a man who's never walked. He's begging for money. And Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Arise and walk. And the Bible says that strength started coming into the man's feet and his ankle bones. And he arose and he walked and he danced and he jumped. And people were amazed. They came running from everywhere to see this miracle. Folks, that thing didn't just happen by itself. It happened because Peter and John went up at the set time of prayer. They were a They had gone up hundreds of times to the temple at the time of prayer. But that day, God had a miracle for them. And I'm telling you, when you're inconsistent in your walk with Jesus, many times you're going to miss your miracle moments and you're going to miss your breakthroughs. But if you'll be consistent, whether it feels good or it doesn't feel good, whether things are going well or not going well, if you'll be consistent in your walk with Jesus, you will see. See, David said, I now am old and I used to be young, but I've never seen the 
righteous forsaken. I've never seen his seed begging bread. Hallelujah. Glory to God. If any man had a reason to be inconsistent, if any man had a reason to be inconsistent, it was Elkanah. Think about what was going on in his life. The leadership of his day were not very good leaders. The pastors were corrupt. The pastors were stealing. The pastors were sleeping with the women just a few feet away from the tent of meeting. How terrible could you get? How many of you think that might keep you from wanting to go to church? I don't want to go receive from that guy. If anybody had, anybody had a reason not to go, it was him. Think about this. His wife, Hannah, is in a deep, deep depression because she can't seemingly conceive a child. She's in a deep depression. How many of you know when your wife gets in her depression, it, it, it upsets the apple cart? If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? His wife is deeply depressed. She's sick. She's suffering. Not only that, but it looked like God had let them down. It looked like God had not answered their prayer. He's been praying and praying and praying for Hannah to conceive a child. But nothing's going on. But that leads us to our third and final point today, and it's this. Elkanah stood confidently, and he stood expectantly with faith in God. I think that means that Elkanah was standing on some scriptures. I personally think Elkanah was standing on Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Let's look at that. He says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I believe that that, that, that Elkanah would, would worship God, and he would think about this scripture, and he says, Lord, I'm not going to allow your word to depart from my mouth. I'm not going to allow your word to depart from my heart, but I'm going to meditate it in a day and night that I can observe to do all that is written therein. For then you're going to make my way prosperous. You're going to make Hannah prosperous. You're going to make her successful. I refuse to be dismayed. When you take a stand of faith, it's not something that's just going to happen. I can't lay my hands on you and pray for an impartation of consistency and an impartation of faith. I can pray for it, but your own heart's got a role to play. You've got to determine, am I going to be consistent and am I going to be a man or a woman of faith? I believe that he perhaps was focusing on Psalms chapter 1. Let's put that on the screen. David says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. In the next screen, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Think about what this man's going through. He's going up to worship, and his mind is being bombarded. Those unfaithful priests, look what Eli and, and Hophni and Phinehas are doing now. Oh, just think about the depression that your wife's in. Oh, how could a loving God allow your wife to be all messed up in this depression? Look, God doesn't even answer your prayers. He's not faithful. But somehow, Eli, had, I mean, Elkanah had to say, you know what? I believe, I believe that I'm going to be like a tree. 
I don't care what's going on with other people. I believe that I'm going to be like a tree that's planted by rivers of living water that brings forth its fruit in season. My leaf shall not wither. Whatever I do is going to prosper. I just believe that God is bigger than my problems. I believe that God is bigger than, than these issues. I've had several people come to me recently and say, Pastor, i got a problem. I say, what's that? They say, I don't like any of these Anybody that's on the, that looks like they could be on the Democratic ticket or on the Republican ticket, what am I going to do? And I said, you're going to rejoice in God because, because God is bigger than any of these candidates. He's bigger than any office that we're looking at. God's in charge and God's in control and he's looking for somebody that'll just believe him. Psalms 37 verse 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I believe this man was saying, Lord, you see how corrupt Eli is. You see how corrupt these pastors are, his sons. Oh God, I'm asking you to raise up. And it says this about his son. Now his son had not been conceived yet, but it says this about Samuel. Chapter 2, verse 35 of 1 Samuel says, I'm going to raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do everything that's in my heart and in my mind. I just wonder if his daddy wasn't praying that, saying, oh God, we're in trouble as a nation. I'm asking you to raise up a faithful priest who will do everything in, that's in your heart and in your mind. Some of us need to pray that for America. We just need to say, oh God, I'm asking you to raise up leadership, God, that will do everything that's in your heart and that's in your mind, Oh God, I'm asking you to turn things around. Psalms 92 verse 13 says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and they shall be flourishing. Hallelujah. See, this man was standing in faith. Folks, you can't stand in faith if you don't stand in biblical hope. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Our God is the God of all hope. Paul said, and he wrote in, in Romans 15, he says, May the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How in the world do you abound in hope? I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what I do. I go to God in prayer and I'll just say, Holy Spirit, I want to be filled with hope. I want to be abounding in hope, not in pessimism, not in negativity. And so, Holy Spirit, Lord, as I meditate on the Word of God, I want you, Holy Spirit, to draw word pictures in my heart. God, draw word pictures in my heart of seeing those scriptures fulfilled. I read that Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer and they healed the man that was lame. And I see myself laying hands on sick people and I see them getting healed. <laughs> I read in Acts 2 how on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached that great sermon and 3,000 people get saved. And I close my eyes and I say, Holy Spirit, draw a word picture in my heart. And I see... Not just hundreds, but I see thousands and thousands and thousands of people giving their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know that's a whole lot better to meditate on that than it is to meditate on what's going on in ABC and NBC and CBS and CNN and Fox? Hallelujah. 
Last week we talked about Jonah and I started thinking about that great revival that he had in Nineveh and how 120,000 people repented. I've never seen 120,000 people repent. I've never seen them with these eyes, but I have with these eyes. I said, Holy Spirit, would you draw a word picture in my heart? Let me see 120,000 people repenting and turning to God. Help me to see Leon County repenting. Help me to see Wakulla and Gadsden and Taylor and, and Thomas and Putnam and every county around here. God, may we see revival. Oh, God. See, sometimes you got to see it through the eyes of faith before you're going to see it with these eyes. Glory to God. Abraham was promised. God says, I'm going to give you a son. Many, many years had gone by. He had gotten old. Sarah was old. And one day God spoke to his heart and says, Abraham, look up in the sky. Look at those stars. That's how many children you're going to have. And the Holy Spirit began drawing a word picture in the heart of Abraham. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. You see, this man, Elkanah, there was a certain man named Elkanah. Verse 3, year after year they went up and worshipped. He didn't worship because it was convenient. He didn't worship because it was always well with his soul. He went because he was going to be faithful to God and he believed God and he stood in faith and he was consistent and God rewarded him. God gave him Samuel and Samuel became the premier priest and the premier prophet and the premier judge in Israel. God used that man like he's used very few people on the face of the earth but it didn't happen by accident. It happened because he had a praying daddy. Folks, we just need to say, God, would you draw a word picture in my heart? Would you draw, Holy Spirit, a word picture in my heart, in your heart, in our heart of the fulfillment of all the promises and the commands of God. You need to see, you need to be able to close your eyes and see yourself serving Jesus Christ. You need to be able to close your eyes and see yourself making a decision saying, I will follow Jesus. You need to be able to close your eyes and see God working in your heart. And on your behalf, he says, I know the plans I've got for you, says the Lord, plans for good. You say, well, things aren't very good, Pastor. We don't know how much longer Social Security is going to be around. We don't know what's going to happen politically. We got this problem and we got that problem. I'm telling you to take your eyes off what the media is telling us today and get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on the Holy Ghost. Get your eyes on the Word of God because those that are with us are more than those that be with them. You need to get a sanctified imagination. And I just lost somebody with that because anytime you use imagination, you say, well, that's something the kids do. They just have vivid imaginations. Maybe you've gotten so old that you don't think that you should use your imagination anymore. You should not use it for evil. And that's the reason some people don't want to have anything to do with imagination because even the Bible talks about how the evil of man's imaginations. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, though we walk in the flesh, we don't do warfare according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are divinely powerful for the pulling down of strongholds, pulling down every thought and every imagination that would raise itself up against the knowledge of Christ. No question about it. Many times, man's imagination can be evil. I'm not endorsing an evil imagination, but I am saying you and I need to reach out and embrace a, a, a sanctified 
Christ-like imagination and say, God, what do you want to do? I know there's hopelessness. I know there are problems. But what are you doing? Glory to God. I'm excited. We've got electricity here today because Thomas Edison dared to ask himself, how can I get electricity to run down a piece of copper wire from point A to point B? And if you've ever read about Thomas Edison, you know he failed again and again and again and again, but he refused to give up. He refused to discourage, to be discouraged. He says, I'm just learning things that don't work. And he kept at it. And you know what? We've got electricity here today because Thomas Edison imagined what electricity might be. You're hearing my voice on a cordless microphone today. Somebody had to ask the question. They had to ask the question, how can we amplify a voice using electricity? And they came up with an answer. And then somebody one day said, I wonder if we could amplify the voice without being a physical cable. I wonder if we could have a radio receiver and if that would work. See, they allowed their imagination to work. Here's what all, all I'm preaching is this. Don't you limit God. Don't limit God. How many of you enjoy having a cell phone, a mobile phone? Come on, let me see your hands. Seriously. I know some of you don't. Man, do you remember what those things were like when they first came out? I mean, it was, it was this, this long. I had one in the 1980s. I had a church member in Chicago who decided that they, their pastor needed a cell phone. They'd just come out. Hardly anybody else had cell phones. I didn't know who to talk to. But they thought I should have. I had one that was about this big, and you put it up. It was like putting a shoebox. But I had a cell phone. Look at today. Somebody just kept asking the question, how can we make it smaller? How can we make it bigger? Glory to God. How many of you now, and a lot of you won't remember this unless you watch Nick at Night, but there used to be a television program called Get Smart, and it featured a fellow named Maxwell Smart. It was a comedy. It was an undercover. Do you remember how he made telephone calls? From his shoe. That's right. He took off his shoe. Now, that may have been the stuff of science fiction. Who would have believed that we would have cell phones today like we do? What did Dick Tracy, he, when he made phone calls, what did he talk on? His watch. Guess what Apple has done? They now have the Apple Watch because somebody started using their imagination. Here, folks, I, I, again, imaginations can be horrible, can be terrible. They can be ungodly. It can be sinful. That's not what I'm promoting today. I'm just saying you need to say, Holy Spirit, would you take the promises in your word and you would let me see the promises coming to fruition in my heart. You may have financial problems. You need to be able to close your eyes and say Holy Spirit would you draw a word picture in my heart of you meeting every need Lord would you draw a word picture in my heart of me prospering and in health even as my soul prospers Holy Spirit would you let me see it oh God I'm going to give myself to you because I'm going to take a stand for you I'm not going to be ashamed of you Elkanah took a bold stand when it wasn't popular Elkanah took a consistent stand. It wasn't hit or miss. He was consistent. 
And number three, Elkanah took a stand of faith. He took a stand of hope. Hallelujah. What does your pastor want you to do? My prayer to God is that you would be able to take a bold stand for Jesus Christ. A consistent stand. Not a fair weather stand. Not a stand just... Well, today I'll stand for the Lord. I don't know if I will tomorrow or not. I'm talking about day in and day out. Folks, you will miss your miracle moment if you're not consistent. And take a stand of faith and a stand of hope. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7.00. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.